Holly and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Welcome, 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 guys. Exciting week. Exciting week. Well, you know, I'm looking at our outline, and I put Superman and Lois season finale as the first thing that you guys wanted to talk about. But but I apparently think... it's not the season finale. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it really felt like the season finale. So Yeah, I, I assumed that it was based on the, the, the tone and pacing. Uh, I got to tell you, you know, Paul, I know that you've only watched episode one of Superman and Lois. Yeah. But it is an awfully damn good show. There's only been one episode of the 13 that are out thus far that I thought underperformed. I think everything else has really been an example of premium television. I have super yeah. enjoyed this show. Just so you know, Aaron, this there's three episode, episodes coming. <laughs> I'm looking this is crazy to me. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, like, this the, episode felt like it was the finale. And so I went out to Wikipedia to check. And sure enough, this is a 15 episode season. Well, and episode 12 felt like it was a season finale cliffhanger, right? You know, and then you got to 13. I'm like, oh, okay, we're just going to wrap up the whole the whole story here. No, no. <laughs> it is, I, you know, I'm not paying attention on the meta side where, you know, what's going on with the production and whatnot. It's really weird to me that there was a gap between episodes 12 and 13. But, you know, you cannot fault the uh, the the acting, the writing and the directing on the show. It does not feel like a CW show, uh, despite the fact that Diggle shows up in this episode. Yeah, and I was there like, were what? <laughs> there were a couple things I wanted to talk about in this episode, and that was one of them. This is the first time through the entire series that it has made any connection to another CW show. Yeah. And that was Diggle guest starring in it. And if yeah. they're going to make a connection, he's a good one to do. Well, and you're know, talking about, you know, uh, Arrow and, you know, making an Oliver reference at one point. I mean, I just it, I thought it was nicely done, though. I was I was sort of amused that uh, Diggle hat was sort of big dogging general lane yeah and i'm like i'm i, I kind of feel like general lane outranks you in the scheme of things buddy uh-huh. <laughs> but it's completely within the character to do right. it too right and that's one of the things i've enjoyed about the show is how much they have kept it separate from the other cw stuff yeah. because from a story standpoint there is no reason he wouldn't have reached out to supergirl with some of these storylines well, or that Supergirl wouldn't have shown up because of what's going on. I mean, that's exactly. the thing. Because I'm like, okay, if we're in the, because I was not clear that we were in the same world, you know, after, you know, the big crisis thing, you know, it was a terrible, terrible episode, but it did sort of reset stuff within uh, the CW verse. I, it, it, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, episodes back in the day of the $6 million man. It's like, well, why wouldn't the bionic woman have shown up here? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, this is a big enough deal that you deploy all your guns. Well, specifically, we are dealing with and a little bit of a spoilers here. We're dealing with other Kryptonians in the storyline. Right. And in one case, they bring back the mind of Superman's mother, you know, Laura. It's like Supergirl has met her. This is her aunt. She yeah. has memories of her. Why wouldn't you call her to come talk to her aunt? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you tell her all of this is going on? But from a meta standpoint, keep that show as far away from this one as you possibly can. Right. Yeah. Because there is a stink on Supergirl. 
it is it is it is not a uh, a good show. Um, you know, I think my biggest complaints about Superman and Lois are the casting of Jor-El, who it just looks like a schlub. <laughs> I <laughs> you know? I agree with that. Uh, there is nothing heroic or uh, iconic in the casting of Jor-El and the same with uh, the casting of Morgan Edge's father. I mean, they just both yep. seem like from the same school of schlubs. I mean, just ye. <laughs> Was there nobody that showed up for the audition? Morgan I mean, Edge's father looks like he's a meth addict. True. True. I mean, and, and you know, I just the casting on both of those is just Wildly uninspired. Yeah. My uh, other complaint about the show is the fortress. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's Absolutely. just it's just, it's just a, a cave, hole. a hole with a, yeah. you know, with a crystal in it. Yeah. Like, and I get know, not wanting to do the, you know, the Richard Donner version of uh-huh. big crystal thing. But uh-huh. give me something more than a hole in the ground. Right. Give me some level of tech. Give me something to make it look like it's not just a random cave. You know, and I got to say, I'm pretty sick of the Richard Donner uh, version of the fortress that we've really held on to since that time. I would really like to see a return to a classic fortress of solitude, you know, something, you know, pre-crisis where, it, you know, it is a fortress that he's built in the side of a mountain in, in the Arctic. Um that, you know, demonstrates all this Kryptonian technology. Yeah, you I know, mean, even I, if this started off as just a cave. Right. Couldn't he have brought some furniture in or mm-hmm. something to make yeah. it homey instead well, of. And there's there's nothing keeping people out, you know, other than the fact that it's remote. <laughs> you know, they show him crash, you know, out in front of the fortress. And it doesn't demonstrate that it's on the side of the sheer cliff. It looks like you can just walk right up to that hole in, in, the, in the ground. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's more a hobbit hole <laughs> than it is a a fortress, you know, remote and hard to get to, you know. I, I just I I really dislike the the fortress. And you know, it's all shot against a green screen and it's not a particularly inspired green screen. Um I yeah, I, I hate it. I hate yeah. it. And you know, the the Morgan Edge fortress in the desert is much more visually interesting than uh, Superman's fortress in the Arctic. Yeah, and not to focus on the negative, because we don't really have a lot of negatives about no. the show. No. The, the negatives that we do have, I really dislike. But uh, one of the things I love in the this episode was really seeing Steel. Like, yeah. I love that armor, and I like seeing him out there and fighting and the hammer. And I think they've done a great job visually of representing the character and i gotta say yes i think i think john henry irons is this is a wonderful depiction of the character um and what i also think is great is you know john henry comes into this show with a very you know definitive uh set perspective on the dangers here and what the solution has got to be and so when you approach this episode and lois has got to change his mind I thought they did a masterful job of building the case so that the viewer would believe the change. Yeah, and I have to give credit to the lowest actress. Uh-huh. That yeah. scene where she tells him and mm-hmm. she's breaking down and crying, 
I believed that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that it so easily could have become a melodrama scene. And yeah. any other CW show, I would have watched that, and it would have just been dripping with overacting. Well, and the same thing where, you know, John Henry decides to, you know, give Superman the benefit of the doubt, where Superman fights through it, even that was believable, you know, based on on the pacing and how it was it was handled in the directing. You know, I I, you know, I felt it the same way uh, that Superman feels it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just you you understand how he's able to bear up under it and overcome this versus just, oh, well, okay, he thought his way out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, from I, a I, young actor standpoint, the actor that played Jonathan, mm-hmm. I think, did a great job confronting him, too. Yeah. Well, and there's a great shot of Jordan, you know, where Jordan's trying to uh, hear his father across the continent. And he's just struggling, struggling, struggling. And, it, and it's right as it smashes to commercial. But he's like, I've got him. And there is this this beautiful smile that goes across his face. I, I I think I feel like the direction on this show has been expert getting the best performances out of these young actors. I, I, I can't get over how much I have enjoyed this show. And it's all about hope. I mean, you know, and they really underline that hard that, you know, there is always another way. There is always an answer. That's what my father taught me, you know, and I just I I love how this is just underlining the optimism of Superman. Yeah. And they managed to tell stories where, you know, Superman has to make tough decisions and overcomes those tough decisions to find another way. Yeah. Yeah. The writers understand that the way you tell a good Superman story, yeah, you need to give him some physical threats, but that's not how you really impact the character. Yeah. So I've got a hot take. Okay. I enjoyed Superman season one, episode 13 more than I enjoyed Loki season one, episode six. I there it is. haven't seen Superman and Lois Season one, episode 13. And I agree with your <laughs> assessment. Um, you know, uh, Loki, you know, I watched this with Jen and her niece, and it's not Jen's jam. Once you are start introducing multiverses and time travel and shit, Jen's out. But her, she's a member of the TVA. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I feel like she's going to prune you, Paul. <laughs> she, I'm waiting for it. Stick me in limbo with the variant. This is the Paul variant. I'm waiting for my opposite sex gender, or my opposite sex gender, my opposite gender. uh, (laughs) Lady Paul will be here any moment. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But Jen's niece is a huge Tom Hiddleston fan, of course. I mean, you know, she's 15, 15 year olds love Tom Hiddleston and Loki. And so she's like, this is my favorite Marvel show. And I'm like, I feel like this is my least favorite by far. Um,. You know, I know I'm being harsh because I want to say I didn't dislike Loki and especially given that, you know, Loki set up the multiverse concept, but I feel like it was just kind of a big six episodes of navel gazing. Like things happened to Loki, but Loki didn't really drive the story. I mean, not our Loki. Sylvie certainly drove the story more than our Loki. It just feels like this show happened to Loki. Mm-hmm. Not so yeah, much that see- Loki actually drove the the, the, the momentum here. Until the last episode, I feel very differently. 
I think Loki, to me, up until this hot mess of a last episode, it was right up there with WandaVision. I mean, I loved the show. And I thought they did an incredible job of showing how Loki could be awesome and badass and still be, you know, beaten up in the mm-hmm. process. I think Hiddleston did an amazing job of showing, especially in that first episode, the range of Loki and his range as an actor. I just think the last episode was a hot mess of it was jumbled. I hated their Kang. It didn't wrap the show up. It's going to lead into a season two, which is fine, but it just didn't feel it felt like it was another episode and not a finale in any way. Well, it's important to remember that all of these Marvel movies, uh, Marvel TV shows are giant Ponzi schemes, right? I mean, it's always, you know, we're setting up the next thing. We're never going to really resolve anything in what you're watching right now, but we're going to, we're going to queue you up for the next thing. So your payoff's coming, but not here. Um, even so, so, though, WandaVision felt like it had a finale, and so did Falcon and Winter Soldier. I agree. I, I feel like that that both of those did the job well, you know, even though that they were kind of queuing up future action. Um, I got to say, I, I was enjoying Loki a great deal uh, until we got to episode six. And I feel like what I what felt like such a cheat to me is you were really given no clues as to who the guy behind the curtain was. And we talked about that last week. I said, yeah. I feel like I would actually dis- be disappointed if it was Kang. Same. Yeah. And they don't name him Kang in the show, but we know it's Kang. Well, because yeah. he, he says, I've been called conqueror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. I know who you are now. Um, but yeah, and know, he, the uh, statue has the costume. Yeah, too. At the end. Right. Which is cool. I mean, I, I on the on the funny book side of things, I think that's kind of cool, right? But as somebody, you know, who if I was appro- approaching this as someone who does not have the you know decades of of Marvel comics reading under their belt, I would wonder, well, who the fuck, right? I mean, yeah. we just met some random bad guy after six episodes of leading up. I mean, I truly felt like we were going to meet somebody in that room that we've met before, whether it was, and really what I was, I was counting on and expecting and kind of hoping for was that it would be a future state Sylvie, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that she was her own bad guy, which would also be Kang, right? Because Kang is his own bad guy in, 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 in the comic book history. Now I know that's kind of what, you know, the guy in the room, you know, he who remains, um, kind of sets up is that he was, you know, that 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 he is his own bad guy. But wouldn't it have had more emotional impact had it been Sylvie? Yeah, yeah. We talked about this last week, I think, where I, I was predicting it was Kang because, from a comic reader standpoint, Kang is the character that makes the most sense to be in that role. Right. Yeah. But you guys were saying you didn't think that they would introduce the character because it wouldn't have that <laughs> impact. Like it would be a cheat, right? Sure yeah. enough, they. They went exactly down that route. And it's their take on Kang, that actor, and the the way he behaves. Yeah. It, it just was so obnoxious and annoying. Well, yeah. and, you know, here's the sad thing. So two things could have... Well, one thing could have helped that, and we talked a little, again, not to be repetitive, um, but had they just... Given that no one knows who the hell Kang is in this universe, mm-hmm. 
that you could have interjected bits where he's right. you know he's like all according to plan and you know throughout the prior five episodes and then I right. wouldn't have felt cheated um but two well and you could have had him you could have had him you know be an agent or an administrator he could have been one of those guys in episode one who's just got random infinity gems in his desk yeah right and that's how you do it is you know he's the guy who doesn't matter you know he's the guy that you look over but the fact that you've never met this guy before and he's he's your big bad the fuck yeah, he could have yeah, been the dude at the gonna... desk at the front desk in the tva yeah. right yeah, yeah if you're gonna throw a bone to comic readers and you're giving off all these names why not have nathaniel richards be one of the names you throw out too yeah, yeah. yeah. well and the actor jonathan majors i like jonathan majors um he was in the five bloods he was in lovecraft country um i think he, he he's he's a pretty decent actor i just didn't care for his take on kang um now, obviously, this is one version of Kang. You know, this is Kang at the end of time, and we will certainly see another Kang. You know, same same actor, but he'll be playing Kang in um, Ant Man versus the Wasp uh, or Ant Man Quantum Mania or whatever the hell it's called. Uh, so he'll be in that movie. So, and I don't know if he will play the character differently. Like maybe this is Crazy Kang, and we'll get a little bit more sane Kang, but. I was, regardless, I felt very disappointed in that season finale. I didn't dislike the show overall, but when the season finale just kind of, it just kind of landed with a thud more so than anything else, uh, especially yeah. after as much as I really enjoyed episode five, the fact that yeah. episode six was just kind of a letdown and then just kind of ended. Like, yeah. just kind of well, ended. Yeah, and it not did even not a, feel like we got a finale. Yeah. And not even a good after credits scene. Yeah, just Loki I mean, will return in season two. Yeah, I'm like, I, the whole, my, a lot of my, my comments throughout the episode were, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would think that I, if I were Tom Hiddleston, I'd be pissed off that I didn't get a good after credit scene. Yeah. I mean, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. In, in the Marvel Universe, that's just wrong. I mean, even Howard the Duck would have been a better after credit scene than Loki will return in season two. Yeah, there are one or two things that I did enjoy from the last episode. I, I liked that the way the agent got, I can't remember her number, but I liked the way that she got the other agents on her side. Yes. Was yeah. to run to their essential, the equivalent of their director. Uh -huh. Go back to a time when she was still, you know, before she was, yeah, a before she was uh, pruned. Yep. Yeah. Oh. And let the others see that, oh, hey, we are all variants. We've been lied to. Yeah. I thought that was an intelligent thing to do. Yeah. Well, and I got to tell you, you know, one of the things that it, this reminds me of one of the, one of my frustrations is I was really looking forward to a happy ending for Owen Wilson's character, Mobius, to see him at some point ride a jet ski. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I really did think that that was what we were going to get to see. And I, and I understand that we haven't achieved a happy ending yet, but I feel like that we're going to lose that element going forward in the story. And I needed that. I needed to see Mobius on a jet ski. Yeah, because I think that he was a jet ski rider before he became. A I agree. Yeah. I agree. I think I hated that they wiped his memory of Loki. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's just because of the, the alterations to the time stream, right. maybe. But yeah. I think what we're, I don't know, what puts a nail on the head for me and listening to our comments is that the story felt incomplete. And I'm aware. Yeah. 
it is. However, the story, it felt like it ended before its natural end. Um, you know, they introduced this this character of Kang without real build-up or explanation. They, they end everything else without any resolution. Not a single yeah. aspect of the storyline was actually resolved or no journey was actually completed for any of the characters. And I'm aware that season two is coming, but if you knew that, it feels like you could have... You know, it maybe it felt again. I feel like there's an episode seven. I feel like there's three more episodes coming, just like Superman and Lois. Um, right, <laughs> but there's not. You know, I've got to wait at least another year or two because of everything else in the hopper before I see Loki season two. Right? Yeah, that's my biggest frustration. You can end a season with a season finale that's a cliffhanger, but it has to be bigger. It's got to be satisfying. Has, it has to be satisfying. It has to be epic. Mm-hmm. And this just did not feel like a finale, even a cliffhanger finale. It just didn't feel like it. It felt like well, and a there was hot a lot mess of, of an episode. And there was way too much time spent between uh, Sylvie and Loki fighting about whether or not to kill, you know, he who remains. I mean, I was like, God, are, how long are we going to do this? Right. Um, I, there was just so much. It was like they it's like they did all the work. In episodes one through five, right, and those those scripts felt tight. It, the, the action felt appropriate. I think there were there were great reveals in each of those episodes, and they got to episode six, and they're like, okay, well, we got half an hour to knock this out. <laughs> I know. did I love felt Loki. like it was a first draft script. I did love Loki's line of, "You're the Loki that can't trust, and I'm the Loki that can't be trusted." Mm-hmm. I thought line. that was a cool line. Yeah. Wow. Well, disappointing. Disappointing. Yeah. Apparently anything having to do with Asgard this week was disappointing because Oh man. <laughs> Thor oh, issue man. fifteen, um, the start of Revelations, uh, the new story from Donnie Caton. Is this issue has art by um the, Michelle Bandini. Michelle Bandini. Um now you guys may disagree with me. I had zero problems with the art in this book. It was the writing that I had a struggle with. I had some problems with the artwork in the book in that I am tired of how uh, effeminate Loki is drawn. Uh, I, I That bugs me. And I, I had a problem with the way the beards were drawn, particularly on Thor. Yeah, my biggest problem with the art was Thor's face on a bunch of the scenes. Yeah. And a big part of that was the beard. But just overall, they I did not care for Thor's appearance in the book. But... Far and away, the biggest – I could have gotten past all of that if it wasn't for the fact that we are still dealing with Mjolnir doesn't like Thor. Uh, and I am so sick of this story. He just I got am, the freaking hammer back at the start of this book, right? He yeah, just, this is <laughs> – yeah. Like uh, he, he the, the whole point of this relaunch was that Jason Aaron's run ended and Thor has his hammer back after – um, Jane Foster sacrificed herself, blah, 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 blah. Now she's Valkyrie. Uh-huh. And he just got the hammer back. It's issue 15. <laughs> like, yeah. why are we repeating the, 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 the Thor struggles with his hammer so soon? Yeah. Yeah, and then I know they did it because they wanted the, you know, the big splash page. But his hammer not just uh, not responding to him, but lashing out and attacking Captain America. I... I'm like, okay, now we're going to see hero versus hero again, which I am yeah. sick of. Thankfully, I, I, Cap doesn't do that. But I, you know, we got a lot of Thor without his hammer uh, and in the Jason Aaron's run. 
we got a lot of somebody else being Thor in the Jason Aaron's run. And I'm just not interested. Also, I'm going to repeat it. You know, I know I've said it previously. Avengers headquarters being located in a dead celestial's body is just stupid. I mean, it is stupid. And every time they cut to a meeting inside the dead celestial's body, I want to throw the book across the room. And if I wasn't reading it on my iPad, I would. Um, I, I, I'm hard out on this book, guys. I, I can't do it. Really? I, I am, I am sick to death of this story in Thor. And, you know, I know stories come, are cyclical in comics, but we just did this. I know. I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it the three issue arc. Um, I had a lot of issues with this book, not just the writing of Thor, not just the storyline in general. I actually felt the voice of Captain America. Now, again, this is Donny Cates, who I, I generally like. Same. The, the voice of Captain America was way off for me. Um, like, I, I was reading it, I'm like, is someone else Captain America right now? Because this really <laughs> doesn't sound like Steve Rogers. Like, he's in the middle of the ba battle, and he's like... You know, Thor's like, I have to talk. And Captain America's like, sure thing. I don't have a lot going on. What do you have on your mind, pal? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you know, at that conversation, I hated their take on Thor with that. The Because I don't remember. I, I never do. Immortality comes with a price. The, that makes even less sense bullshit. to me. I thought that was Thor. Very good. Like, that makes even less sense to me. He's like, I'm immortal. So days to you are like seconds to me. And I'm like, what? Well, but... That's I understand not how why Thor you would... has yeah. ever been portrayed. Thor is a character that lives in the moment. He's yeah. never been shown to have any memory issues related to any of that. Yeah. He's always been a character that very much lives in those moments to moments that uh, the idea that, you know, oh, because I'm immortal, I just don't remember individual moments like this. That completely goes against every portrayal of Thor I've ever seen. And I hated it. I hated that with a passion. Yeah, that was a rough, that was a definitely, a lot of the, this book just felt off in addition uh -huh. to the, the core concept of the book, which is that, you know, Thor as a king is no longer worthy of the hammer. The hammer is for a warrior, not a king. And so he's like, oh, okay, well, fuck it. Excuse my language. He's like, I'm just going to give up this damn <laughs> yeah. hammer. And he just walks off. I'm like, oh. We just spent five years of you begging for the hammer back. And you're uh -huh. 15 issues in, you're walking away. So, yeah, lots of frustrations. Clearly, Thor 15 was a book we struggled with. Um, I'm out. Okay. I'm going to give it I'm, I'm going to give it the next two issues. I want to see where this Revelation storyline goes, especially because I think, I think 16, 17, I think issue 18 maybe is a Throg um, feature, or like a, 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 like a, single issue story or something and I like i'll probably pick that issue up yeah but yeah i don't next issue instead of just immediately buying it like i would normally have done i'm gonna read the preview pages and decide so you know you guys i don't we all read our comics on comiXology we've talked about that before this week i don't know about you guys but when i looked at the new books none of the marvel books had covers Right. They in comicsology. Yeah. yeah, in comicsology, and I, I was like, what, what, the, like, what's going on here? Um, so I, same I, with Dark Horse. Dark Horse had a number that we're missing. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like yeah. it wasn't all of the Marvel books for me. I probably bought it a little later in the day, but it was a good half. The Marvel books had no covers. 
Well, and then, you know, so I missed out on Sinister War, which I kind of had an interest in, but, you know, basically, I feel like once I've purchased my week books, I'm like, I'm not buying another one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So, but Wayne, you picked up a Spider-Man, the Sinister War, and I had an interest in it. That being said, you know, I know it's the conclusion of Nick something, Spencer's run on Spider-Man. I know it's also Mark Bagley art, which I used to love, you know, 25 years ago, but... When he was a wee Paul. When I was a wee Paul, but you know, I feel it's basically the same art. He hasn't really progressed as an artist. So I was like, ah, I'll wait and see what Wayne thought. Wayne, what did you think of Sinister War? Yeah, so I have been reading Spider-Man for quite a while and keeping up with it. This is a storyline that's been building for basically Spencer's whole run. Uh, they've had a lot of the reveals about who Kindred was and all of that, which they're bringing into question now. But this storyline isn't just the end of his run. He's He's been doing a whole series of basically fixing and apologizing for things that uh, Dan Slott did during Spider-Man's run. <laughs> and to wrap it all up, this storyline is dealing with the deal. It is dealing with one more day. It starts off with Doctor Strange confronting Mephisto. And that's a running through the entire time. And the the whole book keeps making reference to that and to with what's going on. Mysterio knows about the deal because Mysterio was brought back by Kindred, who is a demon. And I am I'm happy to see that they're going to deal with it, whether they undo the deal, whether they just end with them knowing about the deal, whatever they decide to do, just dealing with that it happened and he's going to find out about it and Doctor Strange knows about it, I am happy to see that wrapped up because I hated that storyline and that decision. From an actual story standpoint, we had the Savage Six show up in this issue, then the Sinister Six show up in this issue. So you've got 12 Spider-Man villains all in one place in this big, giant battle. And I'm loving the storyline. It is... It's callbacks to the Spider-Man that I used to really love. Uh, it is Mary Jane is center through the whole book. I, Mysterio is a reformed character, not a not necessarily a villain. And this is paying off also the Mary Jane miniseries that I read. Because the big Mary Jane miniseries, she left for the West Coast to be part of a movie. The movie was Mysterio playing the role of a famous director and making a movie about his life story. And Mary Jane figured it out like right away, but never told Peter that her director was Mysterio. And we start to see some of that kind of pay off too. Hmm. So I was very happy with issue one of this. I can't wait to see more of this miniseries come through. I'm really enjoying that they finally are going to deal with one more day, that it's not just something that they did and swept under the rug and now we just deal with it forever that there's going to be some sort of payoff and i think dr strange is a great character to bring in for it to have him go and do those confrontations with mephisto well and i'm wondering if that you know has anything to do with the the, this combination it seems like the new spider-man movie definitely features dr strange like symmetry in this uh you know, in, in comic book storytelling and movies, because isn't that Spider-Man movie later this year? Yeah, yeah. 
right. I think December. I'm I'm looking forward to it too. So eh, I don't know. Uh, I, 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 I I'm 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 cautious. Do you feel that I would understand, given I haven't been reading Nick Spencer's arc? I think for most of it, you could understand it because they they do kind of some of the reveals. You don't need to have read the same Mary Jane for it. But anything with Kindred, you've missed out on the Kindred storyline. Hmm. So there would be some confusion. I do think it is, I wouldn't say new reader friendly, but returning Spider-Man reader friendly. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm cautious. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> We'll see if we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll make the decision before issue two comes out. So there's another book that I was cautious about this week and I haven't picked it up, but I didn't pick it up because I don't think I would enjoy it. I didn't pick it up because I haven't been to a store and I only buy Mouse Guard in physical. You know, it occurs to me. So Mouse Guard, the owl hen caregiver uh, came and out, other tales and other tales came out this week. And um, I don't think I've ever purchased a mouse guard book digitally i could be wrong um but to wayne's point the 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 unique format of that book makes it much different um than your your standard books in fact i'm looking at my comiXology library and now i think the last time i bought a mouse guard book was genuinely um you know physical copy i think the last mouse guard book i picked up was the free comic book day hardcover yes i think you're right uh, but you know, I, I love mouse guard. I love I David Peterson. He, he is a immensely talented artist and storyteller. Uh, the, the tapestries and, you know, layers of color and design, the intricate detail he includes in his comic panels are just amazing. Um, you know, you feel like you're reading a storybook. This feels like something you sit next to a child and, and read to them. Uh, I the, just wish he would release the next part of the actual story. I, I completely agree. Completely agree. Because I've got both of those in trade paperback and uh, uh, would really very much like him to continue the ongoing story. Feels very much a George R. R. Martin situation. But... Uh, I, what I enjoyed so much about this book, Beyond the Art, and you could just lose yourself in the art in this book. Uh, the the Alhin caregiver and the other stories that are told here are morality tells. You know, they're teaching a lesson. Um, one is caring for the aged. You know, I, I just I, it was such a, an interesting story to read in my weekly comic book pool. Mm -hmm. uh, it really it really caught me by surprise. Um, you know, the second story is about striving to understand others. I mean, what a timely story that is, given where we are yeah. in the world. Especially given you know? everything else we read this week, you know, yeah. uh, it's such a, it's so, it's just like a breath of fresh air, right? It's the type of stuff yeah. that I loved growing up. You know, I loved anthropomorphic uh, animal uh -huh. stories growing up, like Wind in the Willows and things like that. And this is just, this kind of just brings me back to that, but still with an adult sensibility that I can appreciate as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like there's, there is a lot here for the grown up. while there's a ton of stuff here for the kid. This is a, a book that I feel like parents would enjoy reading to their children. Uh, and there's certainly enough on the page to keep the kids visually interested. I just, I found that this book, you know, 
compelling. And, you know, when you get to that last page and it shows you, hey, here's the other Mouse Guard books by by David Peterson, you're like, hey, where's that other book? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and not only that, right? Um, so I, I've definitely read the the main three books, Fall 1152, Winter 1152, and The Black yeah. Axe, which is a prequel. Yep. And then, you know, there's the three Legends of the Guard books, which I don't feel like I've read all of them. I know he does a story in each one of them, at least one story in each one of them, and they've got like a, a litany of creative talent um, doing short stories. And this is kind of like that, except all three stories are by him. Um, I just happened to look. All of these books, if you're a Comixology Unlimited member, are free uh, yeah. to borrow. So I, you know, if you're not, a, it, it, if you have not read Mouse Guard, you are doing yourself a disservice. Um, highly recommend checking those books out. They're they're not only are they well written, they are absolutely gorgeous. And and if you're not following David Peterson's blog or Instagram, uh -huh. he oh his uh, paper dolls that he's his making paper dolls. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean the work yeah. that goes into and this is why things take so long for him. He creates models um, uh -huh. to scale of a lot of the things that he draws, and it's just yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah, it's like origami mouse guard figures. Yeah, I say paper dolls, and I don't want you to think they're just two-dimensional. They are three-dimensional uh, figures that he's making out of paper. They're fascinating and gorgeous. Yeah. And I think he shares the plans for them afterwards. I, I think if so. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. But yeah, I, mouse guard, you know, any of the mouse guard books are great. I thought this one was particularly good. And you know, like I said, you know, it caught me by surprise. Yeah, I will definitely be picking it up. But like I said, Mouse Guard is just one of those books that has this, such a unique format, mm -hmm. and it looks good on a shelf. And it's oh no, it is shelf porn. It's it is very, absolutely shelf yeah. porn. It's very yeah. different, and it's just like I, out of all of the books, I want that one physical. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Because it's a work of art. Well, well uh, how about Joker number five? Was that a work of art? <laughs> well, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, actually, Joker issue five, um, it, it, you know, they, they bring in, it, it is a one-shot story uh, retelling uh, Joker's first night in Arkham. Uh, and uh, speaking of art, Francesco Francavilla is brought in to, to do the art on this one-shot story. And, you know, if... if you get exactly what you're you're going in with, with Francesco Francavilla just oozing with mood. Um, you know, it's a, you've got yeah. this crime noir tale. Isn't uh, it pronounced? Usually... Uh, isn't it pronounced Francesco Francavilla? If you, if you have the finger up like the the Italian, like, that's, yeah, right. Huh. that's right. Francesco. Yeah, I usually hate it when they switch artists for like one story, but here being a flashback, it really worked. I liked having a different art style for this issue than the typical and i have to say joker is like every month when this book comes out it's one of my top couple books yeah i have loved the series yeah it's just so i mean the first story arc ended i'm very curious to see where it goes uh james tinian the fourth i think is, is the key writer on this this issue he co-writes with matthew rosenberg he's just writing his heart out on this book um it, it yeah. is uh, it is so totally different because when they were like yeah there's going to be a joker ongoing series i'm like i don't care <laughs> and then yeah. i picked up the first issue and i'm like okay now i care and this book you know like i said is a, is a flashback 
story of because ultimately the book is more more about Jim Gordon's relationship with the Joker than it is a Joker book. Yeah, and, and what I so loved good. about this book, this particular issue more than even the others, they have really focused on portraying Gordon as a person, mm-hmm. as a well, I don't want to say well-rounded, but well-developed character that this is not a big damn hero that has no faults. I mean, you see that his obsession with his job is what leads to his divorce, which they don't have the divorce in the issue, but you kind of, as you read, you see why she leaves him. Yeah. It is definitely, uh, it is definitely the best interpretation of Jim Gordon I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I mean, and I loved Joker in this issue. Joker is hardly in the issue, but he point he realizes and points out pretty quickly that he's in Gordon's head. Mm-hmm. And it's the type of Joker I love where he is psychoanalyzing everyone around him. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't recommend this book enough. Uh, and I think because this is issue five, Aaron, you know, as someone who's waiting for um, DC Universe Infinite, which I think is, what, six months behind? Yeah. Definitely check it out when it hits that. Uh, I think you you especially will be a big fan of it. Cool. Yeah, and I like the backup story as well. This I do too, issue, but the I backup feel like... story wasn't as good as the previous, but... Yeah, the backup's been following the, the ongoing saga of Punchline, and this was definitely the first time where I felt like, eh, it's too short for me to have any impact. Um from the story there i get why they're doing it because i don't you know a, a book of its own probably wouldn't sell as well so they're combining it into this other book uh but i feel like there needs to be a little bit more meat on the bones um, or th- at least this issue for that certainly felt like there needed to be a little bit more meat on the yeah. bones than the seven or eight pages we got this is the first time i didn't enjoy the backup yeah and it's not that i hated the backup it just was it didn't feel like there was enough there this time yeah well and so aaron and i hopped onto a um a valiant book this week and i gotta say i am amazed that it was you and i that that read this valiant book and that wayne didn't join us yeah i mean because of the three of us wayne is mr valiant Yeah. yeah i have gotten out of valiant like i got behind a little bit and it felt like they released so many books that Mm -hmm. I kind of feel lost on the current Valiant universe. Yeah. Well, and so and it many feels relaunches, like it's right? This, yeah. It feels like it's a mountain to get back into Valiant right now. Yeah. Now, that being said, before we get into Ninjak number one, I, I will say, Wayne, I checked um, I, out of curiosity. For some reason, I, I had totally forgotten about Shadow Man. Uh, but I know we, at least I really liked the first issue. Um, and two issues have been released since then. So I, I will probably oh. get caught up on Shadow Man because... I really did I, in, was interested in in that that story. I will as well, Paul. I didn't. I missed the two issues that came out since then as well. Yeah. Again, it's Valiant isn't something we look at, but I think issue four comes out next week, and so I'll try to get caught up before then. But Ninjak number one came out this week, and the reason we picked Ninjak up um, is not because I necessarily have an interest in the character himself. I you know I read it when it first came out. He's He's basically Batman, but a ninja. Um, but 
Jeff Parker and Javier Pulido are the creative team on this. And even though Javier Pulido, I, I, I have an uneven history with, not like personally, you know, artistically, <laughs> um, you know, I love me some Jeff Parker. So I'm like, okay, nice. let me give yeah, it a shot. Yeah, friend, friend of the podcast, Jeff Parker. Yes. And, uh, you know, I deeply love both Jeff and Javier Pulido. Uh, so, you know, that was the reason why I jumped into this book. Uh, you know, and because I said that I would join Paul in his, uh, valiant excursion. I feel like this is one of those dirty weekends where you, you know, ran across the border to uh, Tijuana and did stuff that you're going to have to get a shot for later. That's, that's how I feel after this. <laughs> Hopefully it turned out better than Spaceman. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, I, you know, Paul, I, you had made some remarks in, in our uh, uh, chat that you had issues with the book mostly relating to the artwork. Yes. I'd say I didn't have any problems with the artwork. Really? I did. Uh, I, yeah. I, I felt I, like the action sequences were – now, that being said, it, it I probably went in with preconceived notions of a ninja book that I would get, you know, big bombastic action like I like I'm used to from the old Ninjak books and it's much more stylized. In fact, a lot of it happens off panel. Uh -huh. um, you know, you see the after effects more so than you see, you know, well choreographed action sequences. Exactly. And it does feel like they're, you know, one of the things I love about Javier Polito is that the fluidity of motion that he employs is very reminiscent of Steve Ditko to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I am a big time Steve Ditko fan and I enjoyed that here, but I also felt like there was some early Nick Fury here, yes. you know, from like the seventies, there's that psychedelic edge to it. Mm -hmm. Like the Storenko um, stuff. Yes, exactly. I, I was, I was hunting in my brain for Jim Storenko's name and I couldn't find it. Uh, so there's a lot of that going on here. Um, this is not a book that le leans itself to comiXology's guided view. No, uh, there are some uh, some oddly shaped panels and they flow in different ways. Um, I very much had to read this, you know, full page, you know, uh, in comiXology. But there's a lot here that I liked. I liked the different take on the on a scene inspired by uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, you know, where he goes to the embassy and is murdered, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, thinking he's there for one thing and he's there for a completely different thing. Uh, and Ninjak intervenes and the K Jamal Khashoggi like figure survives the experience. Uh, I, I, I really dug all that. I, I was confused by some of the scene transitions. Uh, and I think a lot of that's got to do with the fact that I don't know who all these people are because yeah. I don't think I've ever read a Ninjak book before. Uh, but on the whole, I liked it. Yeah, on the whole, I liked it. You know, but at the same time, you know, and Aaron said, is Ninjak good? And I said I had some issues with the art, um, you know, but overall the story worked for me. I liked it. Now, is it something that I would probably continue purchasing monthly at a, a $3.99 cover price? I don't know. Um, yeah, but it, it certainly feels like, especially given how Valiant seems to reboot reboot books every six months. Um, yeah, I may wait and you know pick this if this story arc up and trade. Um, it didn't quite hit me the same way as the first issue of um, Shadow Man did. Uh, so, but I mean, that being said, there there is enough interesting in this book uh, that. I would be curious to see where it goes. Yeah. I, I, 
I agree. I don't know that there's enough here to bring me back month after month on the book, but I do think that I would read it collected. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I I dug it. I you know again I don't have a history with this character, but you know the 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 parts of it that I saw and uh, the certainly the Javier Polito artwork I, I found really interesting. What I what I found. <laughs> There is such a contrast in style from cover to interiors. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 I don't think that serves this book well. No. Again, I think I went in with these preconceived notions. Uh, yeah. But the cover is way different <laughs> than yeah. the rest of the book. And different in every single way. I mean, like, number one, you get a clear look at the character. That never happens in the book, you know, yeah. because the ninja is too fast, you know, when <laughs> he's in the shadows. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't think the cover serves the book well at all, because I think, uh, going into the book, if you don't know who Javier Polito is or what his style is, you would go in expecting this style in the book. And I think be very disappointed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I do want to mention while we're, we're talking about it is one of the, the reasons I love Jeff Parker so much. And one of the things that drew me into this is that. Jeff Parker had previously written, um, in fact, when he was on the podcast, he had written a Flash Gordon series for Dynamite Entertainment Yeah, uh, that I, I absolutely adored. Um, that, that, that series, uh, and, and that's also what sparked our love of Evan Doc Shaner. Uh, right. And for a while, that book was not available digitally. Uh, I just happened to look while we were talking about it, and that that series is available through Comicsology Unlimited now. Woohoo! So I will. So if you have not checked that out, that's another one you really should check out. Um, just, that's one of those books right. I don't understand why why it's not always in print and always having additional stories in its run because uh, that was such a marvelous pairing of writer and artist. Mm -hmm. And they had, they had a crossover series that for the life of me, I can't remember what the name of it was. It was King something, um, but just great stuff. Definitely check it out. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming next week? Well, next week we have uh, the Thor Annual. Uh, so it, it is one of those Infinite Destinies books. Uh, but you know, this one's written and drawn by what does Aaron. That mean? I think it is um, alternate reality characters kind of related to uh infinite realms or whatever the hell the most recent crossover thing was gotcha um but written by aaron cooter and jed mckay who we have we've really liked jed mckay work his work on um taskmaster and art by aaron cooter so i have i, I might check out some preview pages there we also have uh from marvel comics uh and speaking of jed mckay moon knight issue one by jed mckay and alessandro cappuccio uh, the new Moon Knight ongoing series. So I will, I'm going to check out issue one uh, for I'm sure. I'm going to take a look at preview pages. They've, they've suckered yeah. me in on Moon Knight too recently. <laughs> yeah. How many Moon Knight number ones do we all own? Yeah. And it's like, it's like Shang-Chi for crying out loud. Ugh, don't even get me started <laughs> on that. Um, we also have from Marvel Comics, Guardians of the Galaxy issue 16, yes. the start of the last annihilation. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited. Wait. I'm very, very excited. Um, and, you know, Aaron's book of the year, Gamma Flight issue two comes out. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, uh, from Smell DC it. Comics, <laughs> from DC Comics, we have 
the first issue of Dan Jurgens and Ryan Souk's Blue and Gold, um, yes. the new Booster Gold Blue Beetle team up book. 100% on board for issue yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the new issue of Nightwing from Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. Yes. Very uh, good. Second issue of Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow from Tom King. And Am Bill I the only one Edwin. in on that one? You are from. You're, I'm not yeah. in on it. Yeah. Uh, but also the first issue of Superman and the Authority from Grant Morrison and Michael Janine. I'm in on that one too. Yeah, I'm gonna give that one a shot. I know I know Wayne's not a Grant Morrison fan, and generally I'm not, but I'm I'm interested in this take on this. And finally, uh, well, Ed, that's a book that retailers asked them to slow down on. Yeah, yeah, because they had intended on releasing it at a much quicker pace than than you know retailers felt they would be able to sell it uh, successfully. And finally, Wayne, are you still reading um, Radiant Black? Yeah. Okay, well, the newest issue of Radiant Black from Image Comics comes out. If Wayne wasn't still reading Radiant Black, would the new issue not be coming out? Correct. Uh, yeah. That's some power that Wayne has. Direct correlation. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of how <laughs> comics works? <laughs> so all that and more next week. What a deal. Hey, we want to know what you thought about Loki and Superman and Lois and all the books that came out this week. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, we may put General Zod in your mind. Ooh. It could happen. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but we still want your comments. It could happen. <laughs> you can also hit us up on social media, IOM Geek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What a deal. Well, hey, guys, we're going to do this again next week. Very exciting stuff. Can't wait. See you then. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.